So much of the time when people are talking about disability from an outside perspective, they're talking about it in terms of pity and patronizing and, oh, isn't that just look at them? That's not at all what I'm interested in. Hi, I'm Laura Brody, and you are entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name's Steve, and I am welcoming you to World Gone Good, the podcast where we celebrate the good things, the good people, the good projects, all the good stuff in our continued effort to prove there is still good out there in this cray-cray world of ours. Do you know we have a brand new website where you can find all the good in the world, and according to me, in one convenient location? It is true. My best pal Lisa built it, and you should go judge her work. You should. Be very judgy. Go to worldgonegoodpodcast.com. How will you ever remember that name? Worldgonegoodpodcast.com. You can also follow us as well on Instagram. We are at worldgonegoodpodcast. And on Twitter, we are at worldgonegood1. That's worldgonegood and the number one. Let's all get good and social together. Today, we are talking about perspective. Do you ever think about how you can see something one way and I see it the exact same thing that we're talking about, but I see it a completely different way? Our perspective is subjective. That's a little rhyme I made. It's based on where we come from, how we perceive our individual lives, what our priorities are, and so many other factors, some of which we aren't even fully conscious of. Uh, Conscious? Conscious of? You know what word I'm looking for? Wait, of? Okay, you're with me. You get me. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. My guest today is someone with an amazingly unique perspective. Laura Brody, blends her own artistic vision into the world around her in the most unique of ways. How she sees the world, and specifically people with disabilities, is going to inspire you. Laura Brody, you are the creator, the curator, the artist, the person behind something called Opulent Mobility. Let's start here. Yeah. Where did the name Opulent Mobility even come from? So the idea of mobility devices, adaptive devices, wheelchairs, walkers, whatever, opulence is not something you usually think about when you think about them, right? They're generally kind of cold and clinical and functional or not, depending. But I had an idea of what would happen if we made these really, really personal vehicles truly personal. What happened if we customized them and turned them into works of art? Now, you're saying this in a really fancy way because technically what I read, it's called pimping out wheelchairs and walkers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, of course. There's also that. I mean, look, uh, there's a whole – you do that to your car, right? You do that to all kinds of other vehicles. And people used to do that. You actually have some really fancy canes. But nowadays, you don't see people doing so much of pimping out their walkers. Now, what's your personal connection to this? Well, so – 
I don't personally use an adaptive device, but I'd spent a lot of time with a former boyfriend who had a stroke and who was going through rehab and figuring out how to make things work again and got a lot more intimately acquainted with a lot of the devices that help people get around. And I was both fascinated by them because I have kind of an engineering mindset and kind of horrified because my artist, I was looking at them like, they don't have to look that awful, really. They're kind of almost insultingly ugly, and there's no reason for that. There's a lot of other things you could do. So I started examining that and came up with a piece. A friend of mine had a wheelchair that he let me use. Peter Sobey, thank you very much. And I dolled it up as an Edwardian throne for an art event for a thing called Cannibal Flower. And as Tim in a costume and we came out and did the party and I didn't get the padding right. I didn't actually understand what kind of back padding would be appropriate for him as a quadriplegic. And he'd had a medical issue I didn't know about. And he almost got shoved out on the floor. Oh which was totally not what I wanted to do. And he was he was fine. He was unhurt and very, very good-natured about it. But I just realized how much more I needed to understand and know. Well, you kind of got thrown into it, though, when somebody had a stroke. Yes. And I had been... I'd been around people with a variety of different disabilities, but I just hadn't spent much time with the equipment. And going through things like uh, stroke rehabilitation therapies, you get a lot more time with the equipment. Now, are you an artist yourself? Yes, I am. I'm a professional costume maker and designer and did a lot of specialty costume craft for years and years. So that plays into this too, then? Yes, of course. Because, you know, pretty much anything you can decorate. Uh, a lot of times the artwork that I make myself, I almost view as costumes for, um, I create characters for the wheelchairs and walkers and mobility scooters, and then turn them into new beings. Where does a piece start for you? And here's the question I want to ask before that. Where does a piece start? And do you look at it as a work of art when you're looking at the bones of what you're going to work on? Do you get the vision? It's, it's kind of a combination. I, I will get the vision of what I want, usually working from things from mythology and from history and from other artists. And we'll start coming up with ideas, doing a lot of research and doing sketches. And this is what I do as I'm costume designing. So it's similar. And I'm also developing a character for this. And Sometimes I'll start with a device. Sometimes I will come across a device and that will feed into something that I've already been thinking about. Now, when you say you come across from a device, is that at a, like at a thrift store? Is it like on the side of the road? Like, what are we talking about? Or is it connected to someone, you know? Yes. To all of the above Um, (laughs) for the jazzy peacock scooter that I did, which is a jazzy power scooter turned into an art nouveau peacock that was literally found at the side of the road. Um, Several of the walkers that I've used have been thrift stores because those are pretty common. You find them just about everywhere. The piece, the vintage wheelchair that's probably Korean era that I used for my Medusa piece, somebody donated it to me because they came and did an art tour and visited my house, saw what I was doing and said, I have this chair. I think you are the right owner for it. 
That's so amazing. It was so cool. Now, this is like painting and sculpture, yes? Yes. Painting, drawing, and sculpture. But, I mean, the depends on whether you're talking about the exhibit I'm doing or you're talking about my own personal artwork. Because uh, I, I found... <laughs> yeah. Well, no, for me, um, it starts out with drawings and sketches and samples and then becomes sculpture. A lot of textile stuff, clearly, because I do a lot of costume things. I'm a big fan of the textiles and a lot of reused materials. Um for the exhibits that I do, because I'd started putting together these pieces and wanted to find a place to show them. It's really tricky finding actual ADA compliant spaces to show your art in, in Los Angeles. A lot of places are grandfathered in and yes, it's expensive to adapt a building, but a lot of people just don't. And it was trickier than I thought just to find a space to show my work because it's kind of a jerk move to make art about wheelchairs in wheelchairs in a space that a wheelchair can't get into, <laughs> you know, but I looking at it I'm like, okay, I can't be the only person who's thought about this. There have to be other people who are interested. And I started putting out calls for art and, you know, terribly naively thought, how hard could it be? I'll just put together a show. I've done shows with theater before. It's a very different world, <laughs> but it's, it has grown since the first one. Um, that was 2013. And I had seven artists and one of them I had to wrangle in by co-working on a piece of mine. And since then we've been getting pieces from all over all over the country and around the world. And that is drawing, painting, sculpture, dance, film, um, mixed media, all kinds of different works. Now there's an audience, which you just talked about, right? There's an audience yes. of able-bodied people. There's an, yes. auto an audience of people who would use what you're turning into art. Yes. What's the reaction between the two? Does it differ? Is it the same? How do, how, how do people react to it? It's really interesting. It's actually, it varies a lot. Um, one of the reasons I love working in the art arena is because it's such a graceful way to start conversations and some very difficult conversations, right? This is dealing with things that people don't always like thinking about. But it has been a good way to have conversations between abled people and disabled people, for lack of a better term. Um, it's sometimes I get really uh, upset, people and more abled people getting upset about the idea. And I think it's because they either think that it's wasteful or they really don't want to think about it. That's what art, that's when art is best. Art is, art is at its best when it makes you uncomfortable. Um, I feel that that meant I was doing a good job, but you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, generally speaking, um, in the disability arts community that I've been lucky enough to be able to be part of, people have been pretty welcoming once they knew that I was serious and I wasn't trying to, I don't know, take the piss out of anybody. You call it on your website a groundbreaking art exhibit that reimagines disability as opulent and powerful. 
So much of the time when people are talking about disability from an outside perspective, they're talking about it in terms of pity and patronizing and, oh, isn't that just look at them? That's not at all what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, because to me, disability is something we are lucky if we get an opportunity to get to. Because look, you don't end up being 80 in the body of a 20-year-old, right? If we are going to be lucky enough to live through accidents and injury and disease and whatever else life throws at us, we are lucky to get to the point of disability. So to me, it's about celebrating all the aspects of humanity, all of our stages of life, and that this is something that even if it's only temporary, we're going to experience. It's not an if, it's a when. So you're going to probably hit something and and bust your arm or your foot or something at some point in your life. The idea of making it powerful, though, has been really, it's been so good. And this is the thing that a lot of the artists who both have joined up this time, each time, and some of whom keep coming back is because it is about finding power. Since when I put out this call for art, I didn't specify what disability we were talking about, right? I didn't say it has to be about wheelchairs or it has to be about canes. I've been getting so many different aspects. So a lot of the so-called invisible disabilities, chronic pain, different diseases, um, learning disabilities, neurodivergence, mental health issues, sight, hearing, all over the map. And all of the pieces have this power and beauty of expressing these parts of the human condition. What was the first art piece you did as a kid? Wow. I think the first things that I did were like the blown out eggs and sock puppets. (laughs) You know, painting the the eggs with yeah. stuff and yeah. trying to come up with anything. And then, yeah, make creating little sock puppets with outfits. When you're creating a piece, whatever the piece as an artist, when do you know you're done? Are you done? Is there an ever, I'm done? Um, frequently, there's going to have to be done enough for now. <laughs> um one of the things that's been really both wonderful and super frustrating about the way I'm working is that these bigger pieces take a lot of time. So um, the Kali Walker, for example, which is my version of the goddess Kali built into a walker. She took a good two years. You know, it wasn't straight. It wasn't the only thing I was working on. But it's both a luxury because I do costumes for TV film you never have enough time. You're running at breakneck pace all the time and it's all deadline. So to have something that you can actually really focus on all the details is a real luxury for me. But even so, I spent a lot of time cursing my own designs. (laughs) (laughs) What was I thinking? Why? And then I think there's not a single piece that I couldn't look back at and say, you know, I might, if I were doing that again, I might've added that or changed that a little bit put a player piano reel in it, you know, something else. But frequently it just has to reach a point of this feels done enough for this. This is, this is a good expression of this idea. Do you have a goal with this? 
<laughs> or did did you have a goal? I don't say that condescendingly. Did you look? I do a podcast, and every two ten seconds, someone asks me, "What's your goal? When are you going to get? When? Why don't you have more listeners? When are you going to get a sponsor? <laughs> do, you make, <laughs> do you make money?" So, like, we're we're in the same world. <laughs> I have to be honest. When I started this, I had no idea what how it was going to go. You know, I thought, "Well, this will be cool." Somebody else will be interested. Maybe I can do something like maybe people will want me to decorate their wheelchairs. And it's grown. It's grown and has an impetus and an energy and a force all of its own. And so as it grows, I do too. And I get to step up each time. So I'm now learning how to do online artics talks and exchange information and get ASL teams for the deaf artist that was part of this most recent exhibit. Um, I get to learn all the spaces that are more accessible and, and how to expand this because this is probably going to become a goal is to have it become more global. So I can work with some of the artists that I've been working with remotely from Ireland and Finland and Belgium. Ultimately, I would love for people to have as many designs for all of the adaptive devices as there are people who have different designs for eyeglasses. I would love that. But I'd like to have better, more open conversations about disability and about the basic human condition because we're really not great with that. Now, are you? No, we're not. Are, Are you selling your pieces at these exhibits? Yes, I am selling pieces at the exhibit. Generally speaking, my pieces are pretty high just because of the nature of how much time they take. However, what I've also done is I've done commissions for people. Right. And so I've done dressed up people's walkers. I've done the costume designs for an adaptive dance troupe called Abilities Dance Boston and dressed up their wheelchairs and walkers and canes as along with the dancers. So, yes, this is also income. Who in your life said, oh, my God, Laura, this is the great. I mean, you don't have to give me specific names. Were there people in your life who said, oh, my God, this is the greatest idea. You have something here. And were other people in your life like, what are you doing? Yes, to both. (laughs) Um, I mean, yes, actually, to the point of really, what are you thinking? Do you know that you might just be hurting people doing this? Um, Isn't this really wasteful and awful? Why are you doing this? Or dangerous, possibly, you know, the fear of not knowing how somebody might try to use a functioning piece. Yeah, Um, that I had people get really concerned for me that I was going to get sued. That, um, But I think for me, Mike, look, I'm starting with art. I'm not, I know I don't know medical licensing, but I know that people want to have things be personalized. This is a real thing. There might be no studies out right now, for example, on you know personalizing adaptive devices, but there are studies on making your environment better means that your recovery time improves. Uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that say if you dress up the cane, maybe the person who was embarrassed to have it will actually go out now and take walks and show it off right? and get all the social interaction. There's actually evidence, if people are willing to look, that this has a benefit, a real social benefit. Um, I have had 
some people who genuinely thought this was genius. The biggest one was actually my co-curator, Anthony Tesler, who's a disability photographer and activist and um, educator, teaches people how to deal with disability and how to do that better, best practices for making things more accessible. But he found me because I put up the first exhibit and wanted to be my co-curator and has been excited to be part of it and help introduce me to a lot of disability culture that I wouldn't have run into before. So that's been hugely formative. My friend who gave me the first wheelchair. Uh, just It's so wonderful to have had all of the artists who want to keep coming back and being part of this show. It's been enormous. So that makes up for the people who are like, oh, this is no, never going to work. This is dumb. Why don't you just do something that makes you a lot of money? For me, it's the people who tell me no that push me to go, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't beat me down. They make me want to do better. I get stubborn. <laughs> and, you know, for the best of reasons, because for me, it's like, okay, well, what, what is about this that's bugging you that much? How about maybe we talk about that? Right. Do you feel that art is a great first step to creating a dialogue and a movement toward a change? I know it. I don't know if you've seen Sister Corita Kent about sort of art as a means of political self-expression, but also just to get people motivated. Um, You can do things with art sometimes that engage like the the reptile brain, right? They, they engage some of the deepest parts of you and get you talking and thinking about things you probably wouldn't have otherwise. And that's one of the ways that movements start. You can do a certain amount by essentially just yelling, right. <laughs> you know, um, but if you really want things to move forward in a longer term way, instead of having it just be adversarial, it's got to engage people's hearts. You've got to come up with stories that work with them and that truly speak to them. And art is an amazing way to do that. Um, You know, does it always do it? No. (laughs) But at least it really makes it possible to have these conversations that we might not have otherwise. How many exhibits do you do a year? The first two, we had gaps in between. So was, there was a 2013, 2015, and then annually from 2017. I do other exhibits on my own, but these are, these are the opulent mobility ones. This is a question that I ask a lot of my guests. If you could go back in time and talk to 11, 12, 13-year-old you, what would you tell her? Wow. I think I would tell her, hold on. It was a rough time. Um, but also, I believe in you. I think that that was something I would have really needed to hear. You know, that's such a hard age, right? Two. <laughs> Everyone has a different experience, you know, and it's the the hard age time for so many people. It can be 
five, six, 13, 14, 25, 30, you know what I mean? It's always different with everything. And then there's those jerks out there. And I hope some of you jerks are listening who never had a hard time. Well, your hard time's coming. No, I'm kidding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, it probably, here's the thing. Life doesn't end up with only <laughs> the easiest portions, right? Sure. We all, we all end up having tough ones, but, um, yeah, it's, it would be such a delight to have somebody say, Hey, you are going to make it. And I believe in you. We end these shows with three questions. They are questions you know the answers to. Don't panic. First one you already hit, but we're going to hit it again. Where can people find Opulent Mobility and learn more and participate? Go. Opulentmobility.com. Please, please come and join us. Come and see the show. Come and talk to us. See if you would like to be part of it because we open submissions in March of each year for the next year's. Or if you'd like to invite me in to talk about it with your group, I am happy to do that. The last two questions can go back to anything we've talked about or anything that's in your heart to talk about. Question number one is, who inspires you? Wow. The list is so long. But if we're talking about specifically for opulent mobility... Oh, there's some wonderful, wonderful people. Um, Sue Austin's wheelchair diving. She does these underwater scuba diving with wheelchair, which is astonishing, and you have to check it out. Um, also, uh, the Alternative Limb Project, which is just astonishing. You have to take a look at these prosthetics. They are magical. She does super hyper-realistic ones. Sophie de Brada d- Sophie de Oliveira Barata, I think. I don't speak Portuguese, but uh, it's gloriously beautiful. I got really stunning, realistic ones and ones that are crystallized that have light pouring out of them or have a snake crawling in and out of one side of one arm. It's just amazing. And also Priscilla Sutton of an exhibit called Spare Parts. She's an amputee and was collecting old amputated, uh, just the uh, prosthetics, like legs and arms and whatnot, and gave them to a series of artists to create these exhibits, these amazing things called spare parts. And the final question can go back to anything we talked about, anything you have to say. It's very simple. It's how we ended the show. Tell me something good. Tell me that you like it. Yeah. Stop, stop. I can't afford it. Everyone does it. Smart people do it. Certain smart people of a certain age, and then I got to cut them off before I get sued by Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. But I actually have something that was just really lovely from our opening. Um, we had, as part of the, um, the ASL team, there were two deaf artists who came in to interpret some of the songs of this wonderful band called the Evangenitals. I highly recommend them. Um, awesome, amazing. But the deaf artists are working with hearing ASL interpreters and so the mirroring so that um, the hearing ones can tell them what the band is saying. But then the deaf artists can perform the show or bits of the songs. It was amazing. So the Oompa Polka version of Purple Rain with ASL interpretation was glorious. <laughs> Just 
fabulous. Thank you, Laura, for sharing your good, and thank you for seeing and sharing the beauty that you create. Next time on World Gone Good. Mark Gibson is a singer, songwriter, and a gentleman who joined us on our second annual Holidays Gone Good episode. Go check that one out if you haven't yet. He and I had such an amazing conversation when we recorded all about music and faith and following your path and just all this good stuff that I wanted you to hear the rest of it. So I made our conversation into its own episode. And that's what's coming up next. I hope you'll join us. Until then, be good.